Welcome to the first buddy sode of antibodies. Buddy sode will be the section where we get guests to talk about certain papers. It could be papers in their field or it could be their own papers. Our first guest here is Dr. Winnie Yu. She just graduated from University of Florida, Department of Microbiology and Cell Science. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jitan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, are you you know, one day when we become a multi-billion dollar industry <laughs> and yes. people will remember that you were the first guest. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. Okay. Um, so Dr. Winnie Yu, I'll just call her Winnie for this podcast. She, she worked on Salmonella specifically and she, she's had a very interesting paper published that we are going to discuss today. So Winnie, can you tell us a little bit about what you have been working on uh, in a in a general just generalized manner and where you're going so um throughout my graduate school studies i've been working on looking at exosomes in relations to macrophages um and i specifically look at exosomes derived from salmonella typhromerium infected macrophages and i'll take those exosomes and treat naive cells to look at the immunological response okay Yep, that's that's yeah, <laughs> that's right. And where are you heading after your PhD? Um, I'm going to do a postdoc, um, working on the clinical uh, aspect of lupus. Oh, that's a big jump. Yes, <laughs> still in the realm of immunology, but all right. So you're going from infectious diseases to autoimmunity. Yes, that's pretty interesting. Um, so, as you might know, if you've been listening to our podcast, that we always start with a very weird joke. So here it is. I have not told this to Winnie, so whatever she reacts to, that's going to be her reaction. Winnie, are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. I have no fear of being judged for this. <laughs> <laughs> so what did the myeloid progenitor tell his monocytic son when, or why was he disappointed in his monocyte son when his son decided to become a macrophage? That's a good one. What? <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Wait, wait, I'll try not to laugh at this. Okay. Because he wanted his son to serve in the thymus as a dendritic cell, but it turned out to be a disappointment. Oh, oh man. Sad. Oh, man. Okay. Okay, that was a very bad joke. I hope nobody <laughs> judges me, or it's fine. I'm used to it now. Or maybe that's why Autumn doesn't uh, talk to me anymore. <laughs> okay. Now, if you also remember that we always do trivia after every of every one of our episodes. So after our last episode where we discussed about different immune cell types, we asked the question, it is known that NK cells eliminate any cell in the body that express low or no MHC class 1 molecules. Why do natural killer cells not kill red blood cells despite their inability to express MHC class 1? We asked this and we got four responses and luckily all four of them got the right answer. So Winnie, would you do the honors of uh, mentioning their names? Yes, so Tynan N, Shane R, um, Tom D, and Natij JK. Natij? Natij K. Um, y'all all got the answers right. Yes, so. uh, I would say congratulations to all four of you. You 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 were able to find the answers 
uh, wherever you found it. I, I actually thought about this a few months back, and that's what uh, motivated me to search online why this is, because mm-hmm. people normally don't talk about why RBCs are not the targets. Yeah. So uh, just in case I've not mentioned, the correct answer is that while natural killer cells look for cells that produce low amounts of uh, MHC1 because MHC1 is an inhibitory signal towards them. So the lack of MHC is, is it, it promotes them to kill, but they also require an activation signals. And these activation signals are absent on red blood cells. Also the presence of CD47, CD47 is a marker that says don't eat me, that also helps these cells to prevent getting eaten by uh, natural killer cells. So all the four four people we've just mentioned got it right. And thanks for participating, hope we get more answers in our next trivia. So with that, now we can segue into your paper that you recently published. Mm-hmm. The title of the paper that we are going to discuss today is Salmonella enterica serovar typhimurium alters the extracellular proteome of macrophages and leads to the production of pro-inflammatory exosomes. The first author is Winnie Yu and the corresponding author in this paper is Mariola Edelman. So with this. Are there any terms that the audience needs needs to know before we can get into the specifics of the paper? Yes. Um, so, in terms of uh, the bacteria itself, it's Salmonella. Um, it, it's Salmonella enterica. So, mm-hmm. I work with Cirovar typhimurium, and Cirovar is just a distinct variation within that species of bacteria. Okay. So typhimurium is just a Cirovar of Salmonella enterica. Oh, so typhimurium would be the name of that particular Cirovar. Yes. Okay. And is Cirovar similar to the serotypes and viruses? Yes. Okay. Just for the audience who might know, uh, not know, uh, the way serovariants or serotypes are usually detected or you distinguished is that let's say we we immunize somebody with variant number one and that person develops a humoral response against that variant. Next time you immunize the organism, let's say with the, if you immunize them with the same organi- same strain or same serotype, the same antibodies will be able to neutralize that infection. However, if the same antibodies are not able to neutralize those infections, and a new humoral response is required, that means this is a different serotype or a serovariant. Is, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So in addition to serovar, there are a few other terms that are important to acknowledge uh, while discussing this paper. So the first one is going to be exosomes, and exosomes are uh, a nano-sized membrane-bound extracellular vesicle that's derived from the endosomal compartment of eukaryotic cells. So that's a key word, eukaryotic cells. So yes, exosomes themselves are typically specific to eukaryotic cells. The extracellular vesicles, however, are conserved throughout all origins. Okay. So extracellular vesicles can the come out archaea, from the they can come out from the mem- yeah. the plasma membrane of the cell. Right? Yes. But, the but they're not exosomes. Okay, okay. Yes. So, and exosomes will be from the endocytic compartment, from inside the cell. Yes. So, okay. exosomes are different than their other counterparts, like microvesicles or apoptotic bodies, because they have a specific biogenesis originating from the endosomal lysosomal pathway. All right. Yes. 
Okay. And what else? So cytokines are going to be another big important keyword here. Um, and cytokines are small secreted proteins that are released by the cells, and they're really important in cell signaling, especially in terms of immunology. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, we have the pathogen-associated molecular patterns, which are small molecular motifs conserved within a class of microbes. And LPS, for example, is a conserved molecular motif that is specific to gram-negative bacteria. All right, and yeah, just just uh, adding something to what Winnie said. PAMPs or pathogen-associated molecular patterns. These are evolutionarily conserved. That means throughout the evolution, these they have always remained the same. So it be- makes it easier for our immune system to detect these, since these don't change easily compared to something that's going to go through continuous evolution, and the immune system will have to adapt to that. So this is a great way for our innate immune system to keep track of pathogens without having to adapt constantly. So in addition to that, the counterpart of the PAMPs is going to be the the recognizing portion, Mm -hmm. which is going to be called the pattern recognition receptor. And these receptors are responsible for the detection of those conserved structures on pathogens. So for example, toll-like receptors are a type of pattern recognition receptor or PRR. And when we talked about LPS as a PAMP, the PRR for LPS is going to be toll-like receptor four. Okay, so yeah, the, uh, so what I said about the innate immune system detecting PAMPs, the innate immune system utilizes the PRRs, pattern recognition receptors, to detect these PAMPs. And as again, there are many types of pattern recognition receptors based on what they detect. There are these class of receptors called toll-like receptors, which is important to understand this paper. And there's a very funny, actually not a funny story, interesting story. They're called toll-like receptors because the first receptor was that was the toll found in Drosophila. So I, I know I have asked this question myself a lot, and I, a lot of people have asked this: What's the point of Drosophila research? <laughs> because how is it related to humans? But if you if you see that we have a receptor found in Drosophila, which and we have a similar receptors in in mammals in humans, then that completely completely shows you how relevant research in other organisms is. So toll-like receptors they have a particular conserved domain. That's why they're called toll-like. And there are so far uh, 10 toll-like receptors. Each toll-like receptor uh, recognizes a distinct PAMP. As Winnie said, TLR4 recognizes LPS, lipopolysaccharide, found in gram-negative bacteria as a PAMP. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Is is there anything else we need to describe in order to continue? Uh, No, I think that is good for now. Okay, and if there's anything, we'll just stop right there and discuss it. So now it's time we can start talking about the contents of the paper. Okay, so in order to talk about this paper, we've broken this down to five large sections that will cover the span of the entire paper. Mm -hmm. The first portion of the paper that we're going to discuss about is the proteomics of secreted proteins from macrophages infected with salmonella typhromeria. Okay, right, right, just stop there. Can you you tell us what's the difference between a secreted protein and a non-secreted protein? So 
a secreted protein is going to be found in the extracellular space of the cell. Mm -hmm. If it's not secreted, then it's going to be found within the cell itself. Okay, so a secreted protein is going to be sent out mm -hmm. and of the cell. Yes, and secreted proteins are very important because that's also going to be a way for cells to communicate with each other. All right. So it's like it's like talking to myself is a non-secreted <laughs> way, and if I talk to you, if I send you a signal, that's yes, a secreted way. In a way, yes. Okay. So no one prior to this paper was able to or has elucidated the secreted proteins from macrophages infected with salmonella. Mm -hmm. um, so based off of proteomic results, we saw that there was over 600 proteins detected, and one of the proteins uh, is called ubiquitin bioesterase, which is also known as OTUB1, um, and it's a D-ubiquinase. And this protein was interesting to us because OTUB1 has no secretory motif. Oh, so you mean it's not supposed to go out of the cell? No, so there it shouldn't go out of the cell. It should not be secreted out of the cell. All right, and before we move on, can you tell us what does a ubiquitinase or a D-ubiquitinase does? What's the point of these proteins? Uh, what functions do they play? So ubiquitin, they play a role in tagging uh, proteins that are supposed to go for proteasomal degradation. Mm -hmm. However, D-ubiquinase is responsible for cleaving ubiquitin from proteins and other molecules. Okay, so if, if from what I remember about post-translational modifications, um, when a protein has served its purpose and it's time to discard it or thrash it, the ubiquitin is a tag that allows that when it's when this tag is put on a protein, it's a signal for the proteasome to come and kill it. So proteasome is like a giant meat grinding multi multi protein complex in every cell, and it's it starts one of its job is to find proteins that have been ubiquitinated and go chop them up. But there's another thing that ubiquitin ubiquitinases do. So depending on which residue on the protein has been ubiquitinated it can either go to the proteasomal pathway or it can go to just it can just be a signaling molecule without causing its degradation just throwing it out there and a de-ubiquitinase typically removes the ubiquitin tag so it could be helping in the signaling or it could be helping it to by preventing that protein to be degraded okay, okay. all right uh, and What's next? So you found UT, OTUB1 in, as a cargo in exosomes. Yes, yeah, so we basically saw that um, based off GO term ontology, mm -hmm. the differentially secreted proteins identified in the proteome showed that a lot of the proteins belong to exosomes or extracellular vesicles. And we also saw that OTB1 was also found in a popular exosome database called Exocarta. So we also hypothesized that OTB1 would be in the cargo of exosomes, in which we did that by doing a Western blot to identify that OTB1 is indeed not secreted in the extracellular space without, mm -hmm, without exosome the okay, okay. as a... Uh, carrier. So if you isolate exosomes and you probe those exosomes for OTP1, you see that. Oh, so exosome. that's yeah, that's yeah. a that's a big finding. So you find out that uh, exosomes are the are the way or the carriers of these um, OTU uh, proteins like OTUB1 coming out of the cell. After finding that out, what's your next step? You see that this protein shouldn't be out there, and there are exosomes carrying it. So. 
After that, we basically wanted to identify and characterize exosomes derived from salmonella-infected macrophages because in order to say that OTB1 is actually encapsulated in exosomes, you have to first characterize these exosomes, especially since they're from macrophages that are infected with salmonella typhromerium. Mm -hmm. So what we did in the paper is we showed different ways of characterizing that we do indeed have exosomes based off of their morphology, their size, and their membrane markers. Okay. So we used transmission electron microscopy to show the size and the morphology of exosomes, we saw that the size was within range since exosomes can range from around 30 nanometers to around 180 nanometers in size. And we saw that the morphology had this indented, dense uh, center Mm -hmm. of the spherical structure that had a double membrane, which is very consistent with other publications showing exosomes. Being double membrane? Yes, okay. being double membrane in regards to looking at it from a, from TEM. All right, and isn't that isn't that something that separates, like, also one of the things that's unique about um, exosomes from OMVs, which are, if I'm right, OMVs are single membrane and they're derived from bacteria. Yes. Okay. So we also use something called nanocyte tracking analysis to show the hydrodynamic diameter of exosomes. And this is a pretty neat machine that uses, um, basically you, it looks like a microscope connected mm-hmm. to a computer and you inject your nano size samples into it where a laser will shine through. And if the, if the particle is smaller, the laser is gonna scatter light less than mm-hmm. if the particle was bigger, it's okay. going to scatter light more. So it uses a Stokes-Einstein um, equation to calculate uh, the hydrodynamic diameter of nanosized particles. So this is a great method for us to calculate the average mean, I mean, the mean or mode of exosomes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you, you found out the the size and morphology using uh, transmission electron microscopy mm-hmm. and all as well as nanosite tracking yeah, analysis. Yeah, so we did okay. nanosite to look at, I guess it's more, it's better than transmission electron microscopy in terms of looking at size because for TEM, the exosomes are dehydrated. Mm-hmm. However, using nanocyte, the exosomes are in their native state oh, because it's going okay. to be Okay, so it's answering a different questions. All right, all right. And what was the third way that you characterized it? So the third way was to probe exosomes for memory markers. There are evolutionary conserved markers on exosomes called tetraspanins, and these include tetraspanins such as CD63 and CD9 are very popular. There's CD81. So we did a density gradient um, after isolating our exosomes, uh, and we saw that there is different subpopulation of these exosomes with different membrane markers. We saw that in a less dense mm-hmm. fraction of exosomes, we had positive signals for CD63. And in the more dense fractions, we had a positive signal for CD9, which these two signals were the most predominant in those respective fractions. So when you say dense, is it based on is it also based on the size? The higher the so, size, bigger the size, that more dense, or is not necessarily okay. because density doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily see, see. like correlate with size. Yeah, it could, yeah. It's just so you could have yeah. you could have all sizes of uh, exosomes in the smaller density and, and, and less density and higher density. Yes, okay. so you can have smaller and higher density, smaller exosomes and higher okay. density, or you know, larger exosomes and, and lower, lower density, density okay. or vice versa. 
Um, All right. So the the take home point is size does not matter yeah. here. Okay. Okay. And it, uh, you used a density gradient for that, right? Yeah. To, okay. So here is a question, just because. Um, Maybe there are people who want to look at exosomes, but they don't have a budget to okay. look at it. If I wanted to look at mac- uh, look at exosomes from, let's say, macrophages again, and if I could only characterize them using one of these uh, ways, which way would you pref- uh, prefer? Well, I would say you would definitely have to probe for a membrane marker if mm-hmm. you were only if you were if you had a budget and you you had to only do one method. I would definitely pro for a marker mm-hmm. because in the way you isolate exosomes, you have to do high speed spins with an ultra centrifuge anyways, which your exosomes would be crude, but as long there shouldn't be as many contaminating vesicles there. Okay. So I would still say that probing for the membrane markers are more important All right. than looking at the morphology or size if you had to choose one. Okay. And uh, next, I see that you treated uh, uninfected macrophages with exosomes derived from salmonella-infected macrophages. Yes. So we wanted to determine the mechanism of these exosomes in regards to innate immune response, Mm -hmm. especially since it's regulated by macrophages derived from exosomes that are generated upon infection with salmonella type primarium. Uh, so we basically isolated exosomes from uninfected cells, specifically macrophages, whether it be raw cells or THP1 cells, which raw cells is a marine macrophage cell line, THP1 is a human monocytic cell line, and we also isolated primary cells, so bone marrow-derived macrophages from mice. Um, and we left the cells either uninfected and isolate exosomes or infected them with salmonella typhromerium and then isolate exosomes. And then we took these exosomes and treated them on naive cells, including both cell line and primary cells. Mm-hmm. In just, order- just, just for my audience, mm-hmm. um, the primary cells would be the cells that are derived directly from an organism and they're not uh, being cultured as a cell line yes. indefinitely. So these are cells that came from an organism. They have a limited lifespan, unlike cell lines, which have been immortalized and they can be passaged indefinitely. Yes. Okay. So we saw ultimately that when we take exosomes derived from infected macrophages and treat naive macrophages, whether they be from cell line or from primary cells, we saw a significant amount of pro-inflammatory cytokine release, specifically TNF-alpha which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine at various time points and treatments of different concentrations of exosomes. Oh, so the macrophages treated with exosomes from infected macrophages start secreting cytokines like TNF-alpha, tumor yeah. necrosis factor alpha. Yes. That's, that's, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to add something here. Um, it's an interesting story. I, when I was reading about tumor necrosis factor alpha, the fa- uh, the reason it's called tumor necrosis factor, it's just that the first time it was isolated, and when they tried to uh, treat a tumor cell line with these with, with this cytokine, the tumor cell line died. So they assumed it just kills all the tumors, mm-hmm. but it does not. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a very specific case. And while it does cause apoptosis in a certain way, that's not the main thing that it does. Uh, wh- while 
it's apoptosis is one of the things that the nf alpha does another thing that the nf alpha is very good at is called activation of the endothelial cells the blood vessels in our body are made of endothelial cells and when they receive the nf alpha signal these blood vessels these endothelial cells they become more they get activated and they become more prone or more susceptible to receiving to allowing extravasation or to allowing neutrophils to stay there for other lymphocytes to come there and it just makes it easier for our immune system to survey so tnf alpha is one of the first cytokines to be secreted to be secreted and it's a great marker to show that there is a sign of inflammation yes um so after we saw that naive macrophages treated with exosomes derived from infected macrophages secreted a significant amount of TNF-alpha, we at that point had used crude exosomes. So mm -hmm. exosomes that were not fractionated for the density, the densi well not fractionated for the density for the specific subpopulations of exosomes, whether they be CD63 or CD9 positive. Mm -hmm. So because we just used crude exosomes to treat, we wanted to know, well, if the exosomes that were fractionated and that were positive, positive for specifically CD63 or CD9 also stimulate this significant release of TNF-alpha mm -hmm. in naive cells. So we took our exosomes from fractionation, for example, CD63 or CD9 positive exosomes and treated naive macrophages and we did indeed see a significant release of TNF-alpha. Um, and based off of that response, we know that crude exosomes and specific subpopulation of exosomes do uh, stimulate the release of TNF-alpha in naive cells. But we wanted to know if there were any additional cytokines that were, or chemokines that were secreted. So we used a cytokine panel to probe naive macrophages treated with exosomes derived from infected macrophages for additional 40 cytokines and chemokines. And what we saw was that macrophages treated with exosomes derived from infected macrophages had a higher abundance of other pro-inflammatory cytokine release, including MIP2, which is a macrophage inflammatory protein mm -hmm. to Amarantes. Um, it's a cytokine that's responsible for T cell recruitment. Mm -hmm. So these both these would be chemokines as yes. they're okay, mm -hmm. and right here as I just noticed we have never described what chemokines are in our previous episodes. Uh, just here, chemokines are chemotactic cytokines. Well, so if a cell has a receptor for a particular chemokine, it's going to travel from a lower concentration of that chemokine to a higher concentration of chemokine, which just means it's going to travel to the source of whatever is producing that. So that's one way our immune cells find out places of inflammation. Our skin, uh, dead cells from our skin produce uh, chemokines that call uh, other immune cells to the site of inflammation. And that's a very great way of making sure these cells go where they're needed instead of just being spread out uh, unevenly. And I want to I want to ask uh, one more thing here. So you said CD sixty three and CD nine are two of the markers that mm -hmm. you're using, and you, when you fractionated them based on their density, it turned out that all the heavier uh, heavier um, exosomes were CD sixty three. CD nine. Yeah. So like we saw based off our fractionation, we basically took um, we had three mil fractions, but we took one mil 
per each fraction mm-hmm. L. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that CD63 positive exosomes were mainly in the lower density mm-hmm. portion of the gradient, and CD9 positive exosomes were in the in the um, more dense portion okay. of the gradient. Uh, and and, you and found we didn't that- see we didn't see it throughout. We didn't see CD63 like in the uh, more dense regions mm-hmm. compared to. Okay, and you found that the CD9, the CD9 positive heavier um, exosomes were better at uh, exciting these macrophages. Well, we saw that it had a higher um, TNF alpha secretion. Oh, okay. So there was just a slight difference in the amount of TNF alpha secreted when it's from CD63 positive exosome treated macrophages compared to CD9 positive exosomes treated with uh, on naive macrophages. Oh, that makes sense. Did the reviewers ask you about that? Um, I cannot remember actually. But then they That's probably did question. not. They probably did not even remember if the reviewers asked <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <that. laughs> okay. After you found the 4040 cytokines and chemokines, including MIP2 and RANTES, what what did you do next? So we wanted to gain further insight on the cytokine analysis of macrophages treated with exosomes uh, derived from infected macrophages. So we did pathway analysis using this software called Ingenuity Pathway Analysis. And it basically identifies potentially activated or inhibited pathways um, based off of your sample. So based off of the cytokine panel, we saw that two top pathways predicted to be activated included toll-like receptor 4 and toll-like receptor 2, um, which are uh, considered, they're again PRRs, and the ligand for toll-like receptor 4, again, is LPS. However, the ligand for TOR2 is lipoproteins. Okay. Oh. So yeah, I just I want to point out here how easy bioinformatics has made our lives. Yes. Because you just put all the cytokines that you have you have um, are being secreted mm-hmm. by the macrophages for this treatment. You put that in the software, and it tells you what's the probable pathway that's being engaged. Yes. That's so, so it, it cool. tells you. It basically takes a lot of big data, mm-hmm. especially when you're using proteomics or any any kind of big data doesn't have to be proteomics only, but specifically for that, it helps a lot because then it narrows down to a smaller mm-hmm. amount of pathways that you can further look into instead of, if this wasn't here, then we would basically basically be trying to find a needle in a haystack. Oh yeah, that's like you have gazillion targets that you want to look yes. at and one million dollars yes. <laughs> to look at everything possible. But that's that's so nice. It's just smart work. It you narrow down to the possible targets and then you only look at that. Yes. So because we saw that toll-like receptor four and toll-like receptor two were predicted to be activated by exosomes, um, then we wanted to verify if that was true. So we took toll-like receptor two and toll-like receptor four knockout cell lines to uh, validate the pathway analysis where we took exosomes derived from both uninfected and infected macrophages to treat the toll-like receptor 2 and toll-like receptor 4 knockout cell line compared to the wild-type cell line. And we saw a significant inhibition of TNF-alpha and toll-like receptor 2 and toll-like receptor 4 knockout cell lines following treatment with exosomes from infected macrophages compared to the wild type cell line, which we did not see any inhibition because mm-hmm. 
they have TLR2 because and TLR4. Because they have TLR2 and TLR4. So this study, this experiment predicts our, I mean, confirms the prediction model shown on our, um, in the previous experiment we did. Okay, so what your IPS said about TLR4 and 2 being the predominant pathways and the removal of TLR2 and TLR4 in, in a knockout cell line, you see that it is less inflammatory, but it's still inflammatory, right? Um, you still have TNF-alpha secretion, just not as much as so in the presence of TLR. So for like receptor 2, it was a complete inhibition. Oh. But for toll-like receptor 4, if I'm not mistaken, there is a little bit of TNF-alpha. Yeah, you can look in the paper and just check. <laughs> By the way, that's a very long paper. Yes. <laughs> there are nine figures in this paper. Actually, I'm, it's the opposite. So for Tolic Receptor 2 knockout, these cells treated with exosome driver and infected macrophages did not have a complete inhibition. However, Tolic Receptor 4 knockout cells treated with exosomes derived from infected macrophages had a complete inhibition. Oh, that makes it look like TLR, uh, LPS or any TLR4 ligand might be the only yes. source of this TNF-alpha at least. But yeah, you did this only for TNF-alpha, not for the other cytokines, right? Yeah, so we only did this for TNF-alpha. Okay, yeah. so at least what we can say is that TLR4 ligand in this exosome is likely the primary instigator of TNF-alpha secretion. Yes, okay. so that led us to our next question, which is, you know, what are the components and exosomes that are causing this pro-inflammatory cytokine release? Mm -hmm. And since LPS is the ligand for toll-like receptor 4, we wanted to know, is LPS solely responsible for the secretion of TNF-alpha and other pro-inflammatory cytokines? Mm -hmm. um, so in order to determine that, we use something called luminous amoebocyte lysate assay. Wait, just a sec. Can you say that again? <laughs> it's a luminous amoebocyte lysate assay. That's a very difficult name yes. to remember. So actually, this assay is used to quantify LPS, also known as endotoxin, but it's utilized in the hospital a lot because it's horseshoe crab blood. Mm -hmm. And horseshoe crab blood is very sensitive in the detection of endotoxins. Okay. So in the hospital, whenever they're making sure the equipment is sterile, they'll use this assay to test, mm -hmm. to ensure that what they're about to operate on you with, like a scalpel, it does not have LPS oh. on it, so you will not get some yeah, kind okay. of Infection. So it's like it's, it's, it's an endotoxin test for the equipment and yeah. So okay. it's very popular, especially in the hospital. Okay. Yes. So you guys checked for the presence of LPS in these exosomes, and you found LPS. Yeah. So basically, one of the questions our reviewers kept on asking was, "Is LPS inside the exosome or is it outside the exosome?" So. The only way we could answer this at that point was to keep the exosomes derived from infected macrophages intact or lysed. 
Um, and then we use the uh, luminous amebocyte lysate assay to quantify the LPS. And what we saw was lysed exosomes had a higher endotoxin unit mm-hmm. than intact exosomes. And this suggests that LPS is likely encapsulated within the exosome. Would you say there might be a little bit on the outside as well? I would say there's a little bit on the outside as well. Okay. Um, it's, it's quite hard to get rid of LPS, especially since you're infecting um, these macrophages with salmonella and that's where the lps is coming coming from from. Mm -hmm. so yeah it's quite hard to remove all the lps okay that so we wanted to so now that we know that lps is likely encapsulated within exosomes we still wanted to know if lps is the sole reason that um, sole reason that we're seeing this pro-inflammatory response. So we did an additional experiment using polymyxin B, which is a peptide antibiotic that binds to LPS. Oh. And then if it binds to LPS, LPS therefore cannot bind to toll-like receptor 4. And if it can't bind to toll-like receptor 4, there would not be any release of downstream cytokines such as TNF-alpha. Okay, so these exosomes were treated with polymyxin B. Yes. All right, all right. So first we wanted to make sure um, that if we treat the cells with purified salmonella LPS at both 500 picograms and 1,000 picograms with and without polymyxin B using a 20 microgram concentration that we saw complete inhibition in order to make sure it's not dose dependent. Okay. So we saw that 20 micrograms of polymyxin B was enough to completely inhibit TNF-alpha secretion from cells treated with 500 picograms and 1,000 picograms of salmonella LPS. Oh, LPS. Yeah, okay. Oh, LPS. That's, so that's like yeah. a control so experiment. So that's a control experiment to ensure that 20 micrograms was more than enough. Mm-hmm. So next what we did is we we wanted to use polymyxin B to treat the exosomes to see if this will also have a similar effect as our control experiment. So cells that were treated with crude exosomes isolated from infected cells had higher significance secretion of TNF-alpha, but when cells were treated with both the crude exosomes and polymyxin B, you only see a partial reduction of approximately 1.5 folds, which indicates that LPS in exosomes is only partially responsible for Mm -hmm. TNF-alpha secretion and not the complete reason that the cell is secreting TNF-alpha. Okay, okay. So so that means there is something else that utilizes TLR4, but it's not LPS that's causing um, TNF-alpha release? Yeah, so it could be utilizing TLR4 or even TLR2 or maybe potentially other toll-like receptors. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because the, I'm going back to your to the model of the, yes. of the knockout model if yes. you ha- don't have TLR4. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know any other ligands for TLR4 other than LPS? Well, it's it's just LP. It's so new, far? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just LPS. Okay. Or, yeah, that's there's something in it. Yeah. So we wanted to also identify if you know, proteins, like especially immunomodulatory proteins in the exosomes are contributing to this pro-inflammatory effect. Um, so we attempt to distinguish whether the protein component of the exosome is relevant to their pro-inflammatory properties by using Pronus K 
Um, and proteinase K is responsible for cleaving proteins. Just like generally, just protein, it just yeah. it generally cleaves any protein yes. it sees. Okay, so, that's a that's a very bad proteinase K. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you do not want to eat that. So exosomes were lysed um, to release their content or kept intact and treated with proteinase K. Um, and we saw that cells treated with intact exosomes and protease K had a complete reduction in TNF-alpha, indicating that the protease may cleave exosomal surface proteins that were ne necessary for the induction of TNF. Mm -hmm. However, what we also saw is that lysed exosomes used to treat cells had a much higher secretion of TNF-alpha, but when you add protease K with the lysed exosomes, TNF alpha was only partially reduced. Okay. So that shows that there, there is... are immunomodulatory proteins that are responsible or partially responsible for that pro-inflammatory effect of exosomes that we see. Yeah, who knows? It could be that OTUV1. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I want I want to just make uh, put that out there in case anybody's wondering. We. we we talked about OTUB1 in the beginning, but that was just a way for this research to segue into exosomes. So we have not looked at OTUB1 in the in the later part of this paper. Yes. In case anybody's wondering. <laughs> so yeah, that basically sums up the majority of this paper. That's a very interesting article. So you're saying that if there is a if when macrophages, assuming in their in our body, they get infected with salmonella. Mm -hmm. I know they also secrete cytokines, but mm -hmm. on top of that, they're also secreting exosomes, probably containing immunomodulatory proteins, as well as parts of the pathogen mm -hmm. and sending it out to other yes. cells of the body. So exosomes are a great way for cells to communicate with each other, um, not just locally, but also systemically. So you mean something from my brain could reach my bones? Uh, I mean, uh, or well, some part of the other side, is that, do, do you know it if depends. possible? So, I mean, there has been a lot of studies on exosomes in relation to drug delivery. So there's been plenty of studies that show um, drugs, for example, like targeting ovarian cancer, these exosomes that cargo that specific drug will go to the ovaries instead mm -hmm. of going to other regions of, you know, your body. So exosomes, depending on what cell type and what cell origin they come from, have very specific homing signals. Oh. So could they be expressing something like chemokine receptors? Yes. But so, wait, do you know that? Um. Yes. Oh. So they they could cool. express. So like exosomes also have, they can have MHC molecules on them oh. as well. Oh yeah, I read something. I read something like that. They can express MHC molecules as well as certain. Co-stimulatory mm -hmm. molecules that genetic cells produce. Yeah. So that just removes the uh, requirement for a physical interaction of a T cell with a dendritic cell, yes. while it can just secrete these exosomes. Mm -hmm. That that's so cool. I feel I feel the the discovery of exosomes has completely changed how we think about cell signaling. Yeah. So exosomes are definitely a booming field now. A lot of researchers are looking at exosomes in relations to mainly cancer so far, but more and more studies are showing exosomes in regards to host pathogen interactions and to other various mm -hmm. diseases. And, yeah, including autoimmunity, where yeah. you're going now. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I so I work with SLE lupus, but I have not read any reports about exosomes or uh, in in context to this disease. But I'm sure there is something to it, and it sounds very interesting. Mm-hmm. My last question, at least for me, the last question would be: Do you know how is this exosome? stimulating the cell because is it is it breaking down outside the cell or is it going inside the cell well that's a very good question um i think that there are many mechanisms that exosomes can be endocytose into a cell but one of the proposed hypotheses by some researchers are that exosomes uh the content of exosomes get released in the extracellular space mm-hmm. so that the host cell or the recipient cell can pick up on those proteins just on the outer region mm-hmm. of the cell, or the exosomes can actually be endocytosed um, using various pathways. Um, because I think maybe there's both of those. For mm-hmm. example, the protein like OTUB1, it which very likely has something to do inside the cell, mm-hmm. must be inside the cell. So it must be carried inside. But for yeah. something like an LPS, it must be outside the cell because I am not aware of any mechanism how LPS yeah. can trigger TLR4 from inside, inside the cell. cell. Yeah. So that is something that definitely needs to be looked into a lot more. But for the goals of this study, we were more focused on identifying the immunological aspects of these exosomes. Wait a second. Are NLRs some NLR, uh, not like receptors inside the cell yes. that can um, receive LPS, or I don't think about LPS specifically. May maybe there is. Yeah, maybe I, I'm. I'm just. I'm just trying to think in that direction. And if, do you know if it's possible to make a LPS knockout? organ <laughs> salmonella is, is that so viable you, so yes there's a lot so not a knockout per se there are a lot of immune strains of salmonella um which we also show one of the immune strains in this paper um and it's a monophosphorylated lps mm-hmm. so we instead of infecting our macrophages with wild type salmonella we infected the macrophage with monophosphorylated lps and then took exosomes from that, which we still saw a decrease in inhibition of TNF, oh. but not, we saw a significant decrease of TNF alpha. But um, not a complete wipeout. But not complete. So we know that, again, LPS is just a small portion of why the cell is releasing TNF. But you can't, back to your question, you cannot completely knock out LPS because the lipid A portion of LPS is like necessary for the survival structure yes for the bacteria Mm -hmm. so if you knock out lipid a the bacteria would not survive Mm -hmm. yeah pardon my Mm -hmm. lack of knowledge about microbiology because yeah i've always been bad at that (laughs) yeah so there's many mutants where they have like like shortened um they say like monophosphorylated strains so those are those have a modified lps okay so they modify the biosynthesis of the lps structure all right. But not the lipid A portion. So you can't truly knock out LPS completely. Okay, that's been yeah. a very that's been a very good conversation and I absolutely love this paper because I got to learn something new. And if you had to if, if somebody let's say if somebody slept in the mm-hmm. middle of the podcast and yeah. he just woke up, it, can you can you summarize the whole paper in like a, a, a sentence? I would say that based off this paper, we know that exosomes derived from salmonella infected macrophages 
are able to stimulate a pro-inflammatory response upon um, macrophages treated with these exosomes. Oh, okay. So yeah, I I, I, I acted like I'm surprised, <laughs> but I, I knew that yes. because of this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Th- thanks a lot uh, to Winnie for joining us today. It was a it was a great pleasure and the conversation was amazing. I hope we get uh, we get to have more buddy sods. I will invite um, more guests and maybe next time Autumn will also be there. So Autumn's not here because according to her her thesis is more important than recording with me, which is utter nonsense. There's nothing <laughs> more important than recording this podcast. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all for joining us. This has been our first buddy so thank you. Thank you. Thank you.